Hey, hunters and shooters, whether you're in the field, at the range, or on the factory floor, hearing is the key to your success and safety, and you need to protect it. The all-new Phantom from Soundgear is here to help. Phantom delivers benefits no other product can. Dynamic digital noise protection for your ears. Seamless compression automatically suppresses noises at dangerous levels. Stream calls, music, or other audio wirelessly from your phone. One overnight charge keeps you powered all day long. And Phantom is custom molded to your ear and is sweat and waterproof, so it's comfortable all day. Soundgear is American-owned and operated and a proud sponsor of Pheasants Forever. Go to soundgear.com and see how Phantom or any of the other Soundgear products can change your life by protecting your hearing. That's soundgear.com. This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Aluma Trailers, Soundgear, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today we're talking puppies, hunting dog puppies, with Whitney Miller from Riverstone Kennels. Whitney is in the heart of puppy season. She's got several litters on the ground as we speak and more on the way. We'll dig into a variety of puppy-related topics from one of the busiest breeders in the country. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton. As always, is our producer. Uh, my kids love the, one of the latest episodes when you put the bloopers at the beginning. What are you talking about? Yeah, I have no exactly. idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I know about. you always what? do that. I feel like I need to, I, I can't say anything. You just got to come in exactly, perfect. I got to come in perfect because all of the bloopers are going to go in. I mean, what am I supposed to do? They're there. They're, yeah. they're, they're funny for me to listen to. I figured well, everybody else will get a chuckle too. I know, I know. No, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> you do what you do what you have to do, and I'll do what I have to do. I'm really excited though about our our topic today because we a couple weeks ago we had Josh Miller on from Riverstone Kennels, and when I was talking to Josh behind, uh, you know, not when you were listening, Brandon eavesdropping on our conversation, <laughs> he he was explaining, you know, just how much work his wife does uh, at the kennel and with with the puppies and everything going. On. I was like, you know what? I don't know a lot about puppies, and I I have a feeling that probably applies to a lot of people. Like we pick up our dog, you know, if you if you pick up your puppy, eight, twelve weeks old, whatever it might be, you know, you don't know all the work that went in to getting that dog ready to go. So that's what I want to dig into today. Whitney Miller is our guest. I'm assuming you're the one that holds down that entire operation, Whitney. At, oh, yeah. at your kennels. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Well, uh, Josh was kind enough to join us, and we did a two-part episode. If if you're interested in learning about the the whole kennel and how Josh got his start in the dog training world, you can go back three weeks and and pick it up, and you'll really uh, get an idea for how Josh got his start. But Whitney, just in talking to him, I feel like. If it, when he decides he's gonna do something, like does, I mean, you, you know, when people say like I go in one hundred and ten percent, you know, like does he go one hundred and eighty percent? I mean, two hundred percent. There's such a thing. Like literally on everything. I will tell you guys when he goes grocery shopping, he buys two of everything. <laughs> like I'm just like, dude, do you really need to go over the top on everything? But 
it's why he's so successful at the same time. You know, you got to appreciate it too. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have up. a friend that, uh, it's funny you said he buys two of everything. I have a friend <laughs> that whenever he finds something that works well or that he likes, or like a pair of jeans that fit well, he'll yeah. go and buy like four or five of them. He goes, because he goes, once somebody makes something right, for some reason they have to change it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stock up, a, like you know, get a couple year supply or a lifetime supply of whatever that item is, so that he always has exactly what he wants. Anyway, that's a completely yeah. different topic. But oh, um, let's let's dig into um, your operation there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Josh talked a lot about the training, but mm-hmm. none of that happens until you um, hand him these wonderful hunting dogs ready to go. I know there's a lot of work that goes yeah. into it, but uh, let's let's just, uh, let's start here. Did you ever think growing up that you would be a dog breeder and running a, a kennel when you were a kid? Oh my gosh, you guys, this is so funny because no way, no way did I ever think this. I thought I would be living in a house in town, like having this small yard, like working like the nine to five job. Um, and there's no way I went to school. Actually, I went to college for interior design and I worked at a remodeling company. And then here I am like fast forward 11 years. Well, (laughs) how did, how did you guys get into it? I mean, I know Josh had this passion for it, but you in, in particular deciding like was this something you two talked about together or did you say, you know what, I'm, I have interest in it? Um, honestly, I had, I had no idea it was going to evolve into what it is today. Um, I remember when Josh put up these six kennel runs and I was like, okay, you really think someone's going to leave their dog with you? Like, good luck. And I had no idea that this was even like a world that people left their dogs with trainers to train and Um, I had no idea. And then it just kind of took off and I, I grew up with dogs, so I loved them already. And then I saw that there was this whole world filled with them. And I saw these impacts that Josh was making with these dogs and then, um, with these owners and on these owners lives by having a great hunting dog and family dog. And I was like, this is so cool. Like who knew? Um, and honestly, I'll tell you guys when I used to be so, like shy and reserved that when Josh would bring clients over, I would literally go and hide. Cause I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I was paranoid. I was like, I don't know these people. I don't know what I'm going to talk to them about. Like, I'm just going to (laughs) go, I'm just going to go and hide for the next hour while he has this conversation with people. So, um, yeah, it's crazy to think where we are today, where I am today. And then, you know, we got to know all these breeders cause they started to refer people to Josh um, referred their clients to Josh for training. And then, um, when we purchased the breeding business, we had built up such a great reputation with their, with the breeders clients that we had this major crossover. So I worked under the breeder for I don't, like three years before we actually purchased this breeding program. And basically we purchased the database that they had and then evolved it into Riverstone. Um, but, and it totally took off. It's crazy. And it's so, it's really fun for Josh and I to be able to work together, but have our own separate divisions kind of. Well, it, it, I think he, he gave us a glimpse into your world a little bit because he explained that, you know, you uh, had a busy day and you guys finally mm-hmm. laid down in bed at like 11 o'clock <laughs> and you looked at your camera and you said, we're going to have puppies tonight, I think. And oh 
Uh, fast forward, you know, 14 hours, two dogs gave birth that night, two moms. Yeah. And so what does it look like at your place right now? What, is, what does your kennel setup look like? How many puppies are you taking care of as we speak? And how many are still on the way? Okay, so... Um, get ready for this. So we have two puppy nurseries. The reason we have two puppy nurseries is that one is actually in our house. That's where I whelp all, all the litters and whelping just means like puppy delivery. So that's where the mom delivers all of her puppies. And then I keep them down in our basement until they are like two to three weeks old. And reason being is that, so it's set up. It has these three puppy pens in there. It's, um, it has to be really warm in there because puppies can't regulate their body temp until they're about two weeks old. So it has to be like 80 degrees in there. It's got a window for the sunshine and I play classical music in there. What? What's what? What's, well, hold on a second. What's with the classical music? Well, okay. So it's like you think like, oh, these sweet little puppies. Like I don't want them to be sitting in just this like silent room. Like how boring. Yeah. So they're like sitting there with this nice calming classical music going as they're nursing their puppies all day and um and so then so they're down there and the reason like josh travels a lot as you guys know and i'm just like we have two little kids and i needed somewhere where i didn't have to leave the house when he was gone to take care of my puppies so i can keep a super close eye on mama because obviously after they give birth you know I need to make sure that they're going to be okay. Although they're healthy, they can still have mastitis or um, get nervous or, you know, whatever. I need to keep a close eye on the moms. And then I really need to keep a close eye on the puppies. Within those first three days, it is so crucial to keep a close eye on those puppies because anything can happen. Like if they're not nursing, if they're over nursing, um, making sure mama doesn't accidentally lay on one. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. And then it's like the day three hits and you kind of go like, okay, like everyone is feeling sturdy. They don't feel like jello anymore. Like now life is good. But then I I like to keep a close eye on them for the next two weeks as well. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. So we have that puppy nursery in our home. Then we have a puppy nursery up at the kennel that also holds um, three to four litters at a time. And so that's when they go up there and they start weaning from mom. Now, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you know, like three weeks old, three weeks and two days old. That's when I start weaning my puppies. And the reason being is that, so if you see a dog and you've seen that she has had puppies, you can just sometimes see that they are just exhausted. You know, their their bags never like completely dry up. They're still kind of saggy. Um, we wean them at this age to eliminate the stress on those mamas. And the puppies are getting their teeth by then. I mean, if you were to come over to the puppy nursery, you'd be like, yeah. They're good. Mama can leave. She doesn't need to be stressed out. Um, and it actually is a five-day process that we go through. So we have those guys, and it's a bigger puppy nursery. And then we start to have visitors once the puppies are four weeks. Reason being is that mama's gone, not stressing her out by strangers coming to play with her puppies. And then they have just a little bit of an immune system built up. So two puppy nurseries. First one can hold three litters. The second one can hold four litters. And we are actually maxed out at capacity right now. So, <laughs> How many puppies are on your property as we speak? Okay. As we speak, I have 60 puppies. Oh, my goodness. Right now. No, oh I goodness. will tell you guys, I've never had this many puppies. Last fall, I had three females not take. Um, so they bumped up to this spring because uh, – you know, obviously I'm like, well, we have every, a female comes in heat every six months. So we either wait six months to breed them again, 
or a full year to breed the, them again. And a lot of clients have them as hunting dogs, so they don't want to leave their mama or their dog with me um, through hunting season. And so you just kind of, you know, a lot of our business is run by Mother Nature. Now, luckily, I have an amazing assistant who helps me whelp out all these litters. Um, is and it then Josh? I also, oh, my gosh. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is so Josh is like not allowed in the room unless they need immediate assistance because he gets paranoid, you guys. He's like, oh my gosh, is this puppy supposed to be doing this? Is the puppy nursery nursing? You're like, the get your stress like, out of here. I can't handle you right like, now. Like, go take care of our two kids or something else. Yeah. I don't know. But um, no, he although I will say he did pull out a stuck puppy for me which was an incredible, incredible experience. I wish I would have had the camera rolling because it was just, um, it was amazing to be a part of that and watching him like bring this puppy out that was still alive and well. And now he's living in his home doing great. Well, so uh, I have so many like questions. So I, okay, when, I was, when I was, a, when I was a kid, my, my, my grandpa had a hog farm and I remember going into the barn in the middle of the night with him and helping mm-hmm. deliver those little teeny tiny pigs. And I remember going in there and pulling one out when I was, I don't know, like he trusted me when I was maybe 10 years old yeah, and he probably shouldn't have, but that <laughs> sticks with me, you know? So I'm, I'm visualizing what you're going through in your basement with the, with the puppies, but how often do you have to do that? Like pull out a puppy or yeah. whelp out a litter? Yeah, oh, pull, pull out, out a puppy. It's so, so, so rare that we have to pull out a puppy. And it's actually, it's so interesting. So obviously I've whelped out a lot of litters. I trained under Jan before we bought the business. She literally taught me everything because she did this for 30 years before we bought the business. And who's and so Jan? Jan is the one that owned the breeding business before we bought it from her okay. when, after she retired. So um, she taught me everything. I was over there for every whelping just in case these types of situations would come up, which it's so, so rare. Like I tell everyone, I'm like, you know, these mamas are only pregnant for 58 to 63 days. It's incredible to me that they always deliver healthy puppies. Um, and so when one gets stuck, you can actually, um, feel it. If you just insert your fingers and you go up and you feel, you can feel the, the head of it. And if you can't feel the legs, you know that they're stuck back. Like if you imagine, like it's like diving headfirst, basically out to birth. (laughs) So what we, what Josh had to do, like I tried so hard to try and swoop in, like grab it by my um, pointer finger and try and swoop out the front legs to try and get them ahead of the head, but my fingers were just not long enough. So I was like, Josh, you have to do this. Otherwise we have to go and get a C-section because now we have all these other puppies backed up and now it's a concern to me. Um, and so it's incredible how, how just after time, after time, after time, how you understand how to go about these situations without panicking, understanding that, you know, like you do in this business, you do have to go into this just knowing things are going to happen and it just is the way it is. You can't like sit there and dwell on it, but you do do everything you possibly can to make sure every puppy and every mom is super healthy through the whole thing. Do you, um, do you have concern when it starts? Like this is our, this is our time frame. We have to deliver in this certain time frame, or there's a risk to mom or a risk to the puppies. So 
not through the whole whelping part of it. So I basically, when we do our puppy count x-rays, um, which we do about a week before the mama's due, and the reason we do the x-rays is so I know exactly how many puppies we're going to be having. Um, that way, if one is stuck or mama stops contracting, then I know something's wrong and a puppy is still in her. Um, like, for instance, sometimes if she stops contracting, it could be a stillborn puppy. And that puppy's not moving, which makes her not contract. Um, but there's not really a set time. I would say when you get into a window of two to three hours between puppies, that's when you start to get concerned because you're like, okay, why, what's going on here? That's making this mama all of a sudden stop or really slow down. Usually it's because of a stuck puppy. At what point do you then make a move? Usually around two hours. We'll go for a walk because sometimes just getting them up, getting them moving really helps them. So we'll go for a walk and it's interesting. So sometimes, I mean, I can't even tell you how many puppies I've delivered outside. Really? (laughs) Rain, rain or shine, winter, warm, summer. Um, It doesn't matter. So when they go to the bathroom, like when they have a contraction and they're thinking they're going to the bathroom, they're actually sometimes will push a puppy right out. No kidding. Um, what do you do oh, then? Yeah. Do you have to grab that puppy and try to get him inside right away? Are you concerned about any, you know, like you talked about their immune system mm-hmm. not being built up yet. I mean, yeah. what, I would imagine yeah. then like you run in with the dog and your <laughs> puppy. I need to record it sometimes because I will always walk outside with paper towel and a ball syringe because that way I can instantly break open the sack and start syringing out that puppy um, just to get the fluid out of its out of its mouth and lungs and nose. And then we run back inside and then we get it warm. I mean, granted, it's probably, we're like 20 steps max from the puppy nursery door, just in case that happens. Um, But yeah, I totally go out there and at night, I'll go out there with a headlamp on. (laughs) So I still have my hands free in case a puppy comes out. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I'll let mamas deliver their puppies standing, laying down, sitting. Like they are, they totally drive the show. I'm just there for assisting them. In the internal instincts of the mom, did oh, they kind of yeah. take over or does it vary by, by dog? Because I would imagine they, this is my puppy and now you take that into your arms. Do they trust you or how, you know, does it vary by, by Dame? Yeah. So, um, we, br- obviously we know the temperament that we're breeding, right? Like we know we're not breeding a very standoffish mom. We know like they're very friendly. They're very nourishing females before we even breed them. So we're setting ourselves up for success right at the get-go. But those motherly instincts, it's amazing. So the first puppy, I will usually just let her deliver it. I'll let her usually, I usually will break open the sack enough to get the puppy's head out because I don't want it to ingest any of the fluids. But then I usually let her um, like, eat the sack off the puppy. She'll chew up the umbilical cord and I let her do everything. Just let those natural instincts kick in. And then I let her eat the placenta because that just helps her milk production come in as well. Um, Fascinating. Oh, it totally is. And then they really just, yeah, like it's incredible to watch every single time. These new mamas just, they know what to do. And these puppies, it's actually incredible too, because they, no, they instantly want to start nursing. Like how in the world does a puppy get delivered and then instantly know to go to the mom's teat? Because the puppies are born with their eyes are shut and their ears are shut until they're two weeks old. So they are only going off the heat and the scent of the mama when they are born for the first two weeks. 
so they, yeah, I was going to ask, because their eyes opened, you said, at two weeks, roughly? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so they, they literally feel the heat, and they can smell. They can smell. Okay, yep. gotcha. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned mastitis. What is mastitis, mm-hmm. and what do, you, what do you have to watch out for there? Okay, so mastitis is a bacterial infection in a teat or in like a milk duct on a mom. And what it is, is it will clog up a duct and you have to massage it. You got to start the mom on antibiotics that are obviously safe for the puppies because she's still nursing. Um, But it's something you have to watch for. It doesn't happen often at all. But um, if she does it, it will totally clog her up and it can get really bad. But what you do is you just have to keep massaging that infection out of her. And it almost looks like a, um, it's not a nice white milk. It's like kind of custardy looking and it can have a little bit of like a blood in it. Um, but as long as you get her on antibiotics and you are like completely massaging all of the bacteria out of her, you're good. It happens more often when you are weaning the mom from her puppies. And it's because the mom, when you're weaning her, she's starting to produce a lot more milk and it's not being flushed out of her system by these puppies nursing anymore, which is why we take five days to wean our mama. So on day one, she nurses her puppies four times. On day two, it's three times. On day three, it's two times. On day four, it's one time. And then she's done on day five. So that way it's just her milk production is just slowing down. And rather than coming to like, you know, filling and then just like being engorged with all this milk. You mentioned that you do that at roughly three and a half weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Is that standard process or is that unique to what you guys are doing at your operation? Okay, to be honest, I, I really don't know what a lot of other breeders do. I will tell you it depends on the breed. So smaller dogs definitely stay with their mamas longer. Um, other lab breeders, I have no clue what they do. Um, but also, so puppies also get their teeth between like three and four weeks. And if a puppy punctures a mama's bag just from nursing, that is a super easy way to have bacteria then start to go into her teeth and cause mastitis. So it's just something that we've always done. We've always started weaning at that age. They get mush at that age, which is um, a blend of water and milk replacer and kibble. So they are constantly having food and water available to them. But I honestly don't know what other breeders do to be, yeah, I have no idea. So do you go with all the information that Jan taught you or are you constantly researching as well to figure out best practices? So I would say probably 50-50. Jan was very thorough in everything she did, which is why she was so successful. Like they didn't have social media at that time. They had like magazine ads and that's about it, you know? And so she did a ton of research and she was super successful because she did all the research. Um, There are definitely things that I just, I ask my vet, you know, what their opinions are. I use two different vets. I use a vet in town for all my puppy checks and my puppy count x-rays. And then I use a vet um, that's like 20 minutes from us for all of our reproduction stuff, just because they're known for reproduction. So I like to pick their brains on everything. But Jan did a pretty darn good job at knowing um, knowing what to do. In some in some ways, stuff. I think that might be better. You know, with social media, you're going to get oh so many opinions, and oh, yeah. that can be scary sometimes. I mean, I talk about it when it comes to training a dog. You know, like I would yeah. rather not seek out the opinion of of several people and just 
trust one or two so that I'm not <clears throat> second guessing myself and always mixing things up. Um, yeah. you know, I feel like it can be dangerous to, to get too much of that information. It's kind of like, you know, when we have babies at home, when we have kids, my <laughs> wife has, you know, she's always researching, researching. And I was like, hold yeah. on. What does your instincts tell you to do? Here? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, maybe WebMD is not the best place to get a <laughs> oh diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Is there a go-to place online? You know, yeah, like, like you say, Brandon, you said WebMD is yeah. for for kids and and humans. But yeah. is there an online place that you trust, Whitney, that can help people? Because there's you know regular um, mom and pops that have a a litter all the time. Yeah. Okay. So I, I always tell people, I'm like, call your vet. Like don't go online because you are going to get 50 different opinions, 50 different thoughts. And like, just go to your vet, go to your source that literally went to school for this and does this every single day because you could have one person on there who had a litter of puppies and now they think they know everything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, I'm like, just go to your vet or like Dr. Joe Spoo. He's amazing. I'll go to him if I need something. And it's like, just go to the people that are the most educated because otherwise you're going to sit there. You could get misinformed or you are going to really freak yourself out, you know? So no, I just go to my vets. That's, that's, I mean, it's like going to your doctor for, for humans. Totally. That's, that's great advice. How many dames or, or ladies or female dogs do you have in your kennel? One. Okay. Miss Purdy currently. Um, so we, it's a great way to do this in my opinion, obviously, cause it's the way we do it, but okay. we only own Purdy. Reason being is that we breed these females and I want them to have an amazing life. I don't want to be kenneling females just so they can have puppies because we already own all of our sires and we have seven of them. And I'm just like, do we don't need to house any more dogs? Like it's hard enough trying to give everyone all the attention that they deserve. Right. So what we do is we have breeding contracts with clients. And so it's when they accept a puppy offer We know that as long as they pass their OFA, as long as they pass all their genetic testing, that once they become of age to be able to breed and on their heat cycles that we agree to, then they drop the female back off to me. I breed her and she usually stays with me for a week. Um, Sometimes I'll keep them throughout their whole pregnancy or they go back home, be in the place that they're most comfortable with their owners. And then they come back to me a week before they're due. And so that way they like they're in their home they're hunting, they're living their best life all while I'm still able to run a super controlled breeding business. How often, or is there, you know, like a, a set amount of times that you're comfortable breeding a, a mm-hmm. female dog? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So we used to breed them two times and you breed them around like ages two and three, three and four. I'll never breed a female over five. Um, I don't know. I'm just like, you know, they're starting to get older. You can get them spayed. Like why? And most, most clients don't want to go through heat cycles until a dog is five, you know? And so, um, I don't, I don't know. That's always just been a magic number in my head that I'm like, do I really want to breed anyone over five when I can have these younger females who can bounce back faster and, they might not be as much of a risk at like mastitis or something like that, you know? And mm-hmm. um, so I, I just like the younger ages. It's just easy. They bounce back really fast. 
and um, just get it done with. So I will breed them back to back or skip a heat cycle. It all depends on what my clients want to do. There is no harm um, really in either one of those options. And like I said, a lot of people will want to have their dog for hunting season. So a lot of people like to skip the heat cycle. Waltons, what can I say? They are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat. From wild game to pork and beef, they've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Waltons.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning I wanted, plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Meat Gistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. If, if, somebody, if somebody has their, you know, they've, they've picked up a litter from a puppy or uh, from uh, a female that, let's say she's six or seven, are there concerns from, from getting a puppy from an older dog? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Okay. No, I wouldn't be concerned. Not genetically or, you know, any of the things that you guys test for. I mean, we'll get into that shortly, but there, you know, there's Mm -hmm. just so much information out there now that's available to people before they pick up their dog that um, I have to imagine there's been some consideration in, you know, when is the ideal time to breed, but maybe not. No, I wouldn't be concerned about getting a puppy from an older female. I mean, you know, those puppies, by the time you pick them up, they, well, I mean, for Wisconsin, they have to be looked at by a certified vet before they go home. Um, so I, I would say as long as they look healthy, as long as they act healthy, as long as you know that the parents are healthy and that they grew up in a really clean facility, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Gotcha. So my dog, I hunted with her mom and dad, and I knew the kind of dog that, or at least I saw with my eyes, you know, what the parents were like. So I trusted that. But if you don't have the ability to hunt with a, a parent or the parents of your puppy, how do people or how do you recommend people go about choosing their puppy? The breed yeah. or, you know, the, even the, the, the parents within a breed? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, all of our clients never meet the female, unless it's Purdy, who lives with us. 
Um, because by the time those puppies go home or by the time they visit, those females are already back at their home. And so what I tell everyone, I'm like, get references from the breeder because then you can see the lineages. You can see the um, traits that those specific lineages pass down to puppy to puppy. You can get your client's pers- the client's perspective on them. Like, yeah, breeders can sell you on anything, right? Like they're going to make their business sound as good as they want to. Right. But you, you need to talk to references and you need to ask for a lot of them and you need to ask for multiple years of references because um, that's what's truly going to sell you on that breed and that breeder and maybe even the genetics, you know, the lineages of those parents. So then you've got a litter. Let's say, mm-hmm. you know, what's a standard size litter? I mean, your your labs that, that you breed, are they all I'd labs? Like seven. Yeah, we breed all labs, blacks and yellows. Okay. What's a standard size? I would say seven. Seven. Seven's a standard size, yeah. Okay. Average. And then what's the process from there? The, the new owners say, you know, you've got a list of people that are interested in, in buying a puppy. So then you say, all right, there's seven in this litter, four four females and three males. Uh, where do you go from there? <laughs> so when you put down your deposit, it is about a two-year wait list. But what we do differently is we actually have four reservation lists. And it is black male, black female, yellow male, yellow female. We do not take deposits based on litters. There are too many um, things that can change with taking deposits on litters. One, what if the litter doesn't take? Then what? Yeah. What if you decide to do a different pairing? Because Josh and I do that not often, but we definitely do it where we change it like the day of, of who we're going to breed a female to because there's a lot that goes into it. It's like, well, if we just had a whole 11 litter of blacks, do we really want to breed another litter of all blacks and we need to be accommodating the people that want the yellows? Um, if puppies came through breed through training and maybe they had a little too much go under them or not enough, then we might change that breeding pair to a different sire to offset what we saw in the other litter. Um, and so I, I hate letting people down. That's like my number one thing is I want to make everyone so happy. And so by being able to take them off of the sex and color that they prefer, that's going to really allow me to match them with the right pairing once the puppies are born. So once a litter is born, I will print out all four reservation lists or the reservation list for what sex and color was born. And I will start at the top, work my way down, offering people a puppy from that litter that fit the temperament we're expecting from those puppies. So I don't offer just the first three people a black male. Like I might skip 20 people to get to the next person that's going to want a puppy with this temperament. Just based on what they're looking for? Yes, based on what they're looking for. I mean, we have people that want anywhere from like a major hunt test dog to a therapy dog. And so I have to accommodate what temperament they need in that dog to be successful. Is this common? I, I know Josh, he, he told a great story about uh, a woman that works at the University of Minnesota that was uh, looking for a therapy <laughs> dog. And <clears throat> it was fascinating because she yeah. came out and, uh, you know, looked at the whole litter every day and said, I think that's the one that we want. And, mm-hmm. and Jess said, nope, that's exactly mm-hmm. the opposite of the one you want. He's not mellow. He's just tired because he's been going 100 miles an hour all day and you're seeing him at that time of the day. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was, that was a great point on being able to 
go pick out a puppy. So mm-hmm. you do you think most breeders are doing it this way today? Or do they still allow people to come in and say, that's the one for me? Because you hear people all the time. They, they, they knew that was our dog when came up and sat on Lydia's lap and licked her face, you know? <laughs> and she picked me totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot of people do still let people pick out the puppies. And I think it's just one of those things that that's what a lot of people are accustomed to. Like a lot of people like to do that, but our clients understand our process. They know that they're going to, tr- I know they're going to trust me. And we have so many out of state clients that like, I don't have a ton of visitors because we have so many out of state people. Like I have more people fly in to pick up their puppy than I do to drive to pick up their puppy. And so people don't get that opportunity even to come and like pick out their puppy. And I also tell people, I'm like, if Josh and I were to go and say, we had pick of the litter, right? Like I would have a different pick of the litter than he would, because I would want like the sweet cuddly (laughs) one. And he would want the most rambunctious outgoing one. And so I'm like, what does pick of the litter really even mean? It's something, it's a, it's like something to tell, make you feel important, you know, because not everyone is going to have the same first pick of the litter. Uh, Let's get into the testing that goes into uh, puppies. Um, I, I saw on your website that you guys do use paw print genetics, and I've, I've heard yeah. of that. Can you explain to somebody that doesn't understand what does paw print genetics do? Mm-hmm. Okay, so paw print genetics, what it is, is obviously they test for a, like all these different genetics on all these different breeds. They It's amazing what they can test for. So... Um, they can test for shedding, which <laughs> I'm like, what a moneymaker. Obviously, you know what type of a dog is a shedding dog and what's not, but sure, you can test for it anyways. But what we do, we test for 23 different genetics, everything you can test a Labrador for. And the three main ones are EIC, which is exercise-induced collapse. We have PRA, progressive retinal atrophy in the eyes, and then SD2, which is a dwarfism gene. Those are the three most common ones in labs. But like, why not test for the 20 others? Of course, it's more money. But I know I am literally handing you the healthiest puppy I could possibly produce by testing for every genetic disorder I can. So you test both mom and dad? We test both mom and dad because there is, so you either have a clear carrier or affected And so affected means you are out of the breeding pool because you are going to be affected by this genetic disorder. Um, Clear, obviously, you are in. This is amazing because, like, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. The carrier, still nothing wrong with you. But if you breed two carriers, that's how puppies have a percentage, like 50% chance to be affected. So, for instance, like Brock. Brock is a carrier of SD2. His offsprings, because of him, have a chance of being carriers of SD2. So then I need to make sure that I'm not breeding any carrier with a carrier. So you need to make sure you're breeding a clear with a carrier. Um, It's, yeah, I mean, you could go on forever and get people so confused about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds really scientific. I I think I Mm -hmm. wonder if you have two clears, the male and the female, can they breed a carrier? They can't. No, they cannot. Because they're totally clear. They do not have that genetic trait in them. So where did it start? How did this how did this even begin then and get into the cycle? Mm-hmm. 
Oh my gosh. It's a great question. Probably inbreeding would be my guess. You know, something like that, like a long time ago when you can't breed for it. I mean, there are still breeders out there that don't test for these things. And then, then you get those people that, Hey, I have a dog, you have a dog, let's breed them. You don't even know that they are both carriers of something because they'll never be affected by it. You know, I mean, look at Brock, you would never know he carries the dwarfism gene, you know? So if people are like, Hey, I want to breed my my dog to Brock. And I'm like, you don't, one, you don't even know anything about this dog. And two, like you don't have the genetics with your female to even know if you're breeding a healthy pup for healthy puppies. So it's just super important to they make just, sure that they you just do. see two dogs that love to hunt and they say, let's make some more <laughs> hunting dogs. That's what they yeah, see. Exactly. And then you get a whole bunch of dogs that are dwarfs. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I can't imagine it's common, but it does happen. No, I bet. It does happen. We had it one time. It was a dog that came in for training. She obviously was not from our breeding program, but the owners called us and said, Oh my gosh, like the breeder called us. There's been a couple dogs that have tested as being affected by this SD2 dwarfism gene and the breeder wants to get us te- get her tested. And I'm like, well, I will save you some money. I can guarantee you she has it because you can just, you could tell by her bone structure that she was a dwarf, um, had the biggest heart in the world, an amazing fe- pheasant hunting dog, but she was totally affected by the dwarfism gene. So and then I'm like, the right thing to do would be to make sure she doesn't breed. 100%, 100%. Do, uh, the parents then, do they get sad if you deliver that kind of news or do they say, all right, it's the right thing to do? Um, well, I mean, I, I think they were, they were sad about it. Cause I was like, this is something the breeder should have tested for. You could easily test for it. It's a cheek swab. Like why skimp out on something that now has affected you for the next 13 years of your life with this dog? How much does it cost to do the paw print genetics test? Um, if you're paying full price, it's about a thousand bucks per dog. Now, the nice thing is, is that genetics never change. So we never have to retest our sires until a new, new test comes out. Um, so, you know, like we know that Bud and Clyde and Brock and Bracken and Strike and Solo and everyone is always going to have the same genetics. It's just our new females. Once they become of age, once they pass their hip and elbow testing, then that's when we test, um, start to test them. Now we're getting really technical, but when, at what point do you test the, the hip and elbows? Okay. So this one can be a little controversial, but I will tell you the reason. We love why. controversy. Let's well, do this. Here's the deal. So I do it at a young age because the OFA foundation says a dog is not fully grown until they're two. So they will not accept like official x-rays until a dog is two. Well, think about everything a dog does before they are two years old. Like what if they jumped off of the back of the truck? tweak their elbow. And now at two years old, they're showing that they have, um, mild elbow dysplasia. Sure. Well, that wasn't genetics. That was an accidental dysplasia. And so I feel like it can be really like not as accurate as it should be. Now there is one, a different test called pen hip where you put the dog under, you can do that at a younger age. Um, but I do all of our breeding females. I get their hips and elbows looked at between one and one and a half, because when you think about it, like I don't want to wait until a dog is two and not, not, and find out that I can't breed them for like a specific hip or elbow issue, you know, which yeah. is super rare, but that's two years that we all planned on breeding this dog. And now we can't also by doing it at a younger age. I, and I take them all to my vet. 
um, obviously they do a ton of OFA x-rays. They know what they're looking for. And so then they're like, yep, Whitney, this dog is would pass as either excellent or good. If it's borderline, then we wait until they're two to send it into OFA to get the official ratings. So if, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, when you're purchasing a puppy from a breeder mm-hmm. and the price tag is, you know, whatever the price is, let's say it's, you know, $2,000 or something like that. Um, and then you see somebody else that might, um, might be selling the puppy for 600 bucks. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to assume then that the, the tests have not been done because obviously you have to offset the, the cost of these genetic testing that you're doing on, mm-hmm. on the parents when, when you deliver the, the puppies to the new home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I'm explaining or I'm asking this question the right way, but like, if, if you're not paying for that, if, if, if your price isn't high, it's probably because the tests aren't being done. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would assume that they just don't have the credentials behind these puppies to make them like cost more, I guess. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, but then somebody it, might say, you know what? I just want a nice family dog. I doesn't have to be the greatest yep. hunter in the world. It, the, both parents hunted, you know, they said, mm-hmm. they said, you know, well, it's, it's a great dog. Nobody's yeah. going to say this is a, this dog is mean and he's not a good hunter. I don't recommend him, but he did have puppies. So, he, you, can, you know, like nobody's going to say this yeah. dog is not a great dog. So totally. that's where it's, you know, like you have to either trust your gut and say, is this guy just trying to sell me one of the puppies and, and mm-hmm. an accidental litter here? Or what am I getting myself into? I mean, how much research should somebody do? You, you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, checking resources, multiple resources or, you know, other, yeah. other people before you buy. But I don't think most people do that. Yeah, it's. It's really, really interesting. I feel like there's like just these different tiers of people that like are looking for certain dogs, right? Like you, like what you said, you have this family that just wants a dog and that's all they want. Like the, whatever they just want four legged companion. Those are probably going to be more of the people that are just like, Hey, I went to Cabela's. They were selling these, this litter of puppies here. Great. We bought one. Then you get these people who are, who really want to make sure they do the right thing, but they're not going to wait two years. They're not going to pay a premium price because that's just not as important to them. And then you get these people who will literally pick up a puppy from me and put down another deposit because they know the wait is two years. They know they want to float on the list for three or four years, but then they know exactly what they're getting from us with that premium price. And um, I think, like I said, just doing your research, like, I mean, when people ask me for referrals, I seriously print off 2018 or I email them my 2018, 19, 20, and 21. Every single client I have sold a puppy to. I'm like, here you go. Have at it. Like you have like 400 people here. You could contact if you want. And the reason I do it, I do not eliminate people. If they ever had like a hip issue with their puppy or an elbow issue, because it's so important to one set an expectation that I can't always produce a puppy that is going to be flawless but also it's a way to show people how I handle that type of a situation. Yeah. I mean, you want somebody to ask questions. You want, mm-hmm. you, you, sh- you should, f- you should um, welcome those kind of questions, I would assume, because you know then that you're sending a puppy to a 
home that's going to give the dog the life that you wanted to have probably, right? Yeah, for sure. Do yeah, you have exactly. you uh, this? Uh, maybe you don't even want to say this, but maybe uh, I'll ask anyway. What the heck? We're, it's all about controversy today, Brandon. <laughs> have you ever said no to somebody that came to pick up a puppy? You know, I actually haven't. Oh my gosh, I've been so so lucky. Um, I think one our price point and our wait time weeds out the people that we don't want to work with. You know, like we don't want to wait. We don't want to work with an, an impatient person. We want someone to totally just be like buy into the Riverstone and be so thankful for all that we do with the puppies and dogs. So we've luckily weeded out people without actually having to weed out people. Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kampucha. Nutrisource Kampucha, inspired, of course, by kombucha is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Kampucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed, just like my dog, Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. Let's talk about the mom and the dad for a minute. If you have a yeah. like a dominant male and a real, mm-hmm. a real bold dominant male and a really <laughs> mellow female, what mm-hmm. can you expect those puppies to turn into? How do you? Is there any way to anticipate that when you breed the two? What you're going to end mm-hmm. up with? Um, honestly, the first time, not really. You can guess what you're going to have and see what the puppies turn out like in the next six months to a year, three, two years, three years, you know, see what it's like. But I mean, it is a little nerve wracking, like solo, for instance, I'm just dying for Josh to be like, yeah, let's breed solo. Let's see what his first litter is like. But that's why we do so much training leading up to that point is so we know every single thing about this dog. But at the end of the day, you do not know what traits are going to be passed down from the sire and from the dam. And so Strike is like the sweetest soul in the world. He is so mellow. He's just Mr. Chill. And I bred him to a dominant female, so dominant that she was the one mounting him when they were breeding. Oh, no. <laughs> he's like, I was dying laughing. And he's like trying to like hide under my desk. And I'm like, 
dude, are you serious right now? <laughs> he got the dominatrix. Oh, no. <laughs> but we were like, oh, my gosh. Like, you take, like, two extremes, right? Like, yogis from Clyde. Clyde is, like, our fire dog. Then you get, like, super submissive little strike here who's, like, paranoid about, like, what's happening. And, like, those puppies totally took yogis' side. And it was so funny but because I was like, oh, man, you know, like, we can sell strikes puppies as, like, super chill, just, like, great family dogs. And then they were – they had so much more go to them than what we were expecting. And so, you know, and we won't breed another dog. Like, we waited for his puppies to go through that bird and gun introduction before we breed him again because we need to see all those traits that were passed from him and from Yogi. So when, um, when you have a, the litter there, there's six yeah. or seven puppies and mm-hmm. you're going to determine where they go. At yeah. what point are you pretty comfortable making that uh, decision with those puppies based on what you've seen? So I wait until they're six and a half weeks old and they go home at seven weeks. So I literally keep people on pins and needles <laughs> for like six and a half weeks. Um, but it's cool. Like I send litter updates every week on the puppies weekly birthdays. And so they have a YouTube clip of just the puppies out playing so they can watch them, see how they evolve. I write out a list of everything that they did that week, what we're going to be doing the upcoming week, you know, any products that we recommend, let's sign up for training. Like we go through so much detail in those emails that it's super cool. And people will, they'll sometimes email me and say, Hey, this puppy caught my attention or this puppy caught my attention. And I do of course make notes of that. And then I reevaluate. I'm like, okay, you like this puppy. Is it the right fit for you? Or should we go for this one? And at the end of the day, sometimes I'll go with what they want because it's their money. It's their next, hopefully 13 years of their life with this dog. But I am totally there to guide them. And sometimes I do have to say no, like what Josh said, no to that. Um, to that lady that worked at the, at the U of M, but, um, but yeah, it's crazy. Luckily in our breeding lines, I have no idea why this is, but our puppies usually take like 85% of our sires, um, personalities and traits. So we have like a crazy knowledge of what all the puppies are going to be when we, when we breed the two. And I, I think I assume that you probably stay in contact with, I mean, if you've got 400 references, that means you're staying in contact with the owners because you want to know what those puppies are doing or how they're doing or how their Mm -hmm. temperaments are. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's really accurate. And like I said, like with that strike litter, so it was his first breeding. I placed every single one of those puppies with people that had said they were bringing their puppy back for training because you don't get a good read off of two puppies because those puppies were raised in two different households, two different ways. And that of course puppies mold to their environment. So every, so they had nine puppies, all nine puppies came back for training. So we got to see through nine puppies, what was the same in every puppy. Did anything surprise you? Um, just the drive that they had. <laughs> it was like, you're like your way. mom. In a good way? In a, oh yeah. yeah, in a great way. I was just like, I might, I just had to tweak the way I thought about those litters just because it wasn't like the sweet, gentle soul like strike is. Like they had definitely a, a bigger drive to them what I was expecting. And so that was last spring. Now Sammy, oh no, Sunny, we bred to strike. 
And so um, she was a little bit more of a dominant female, but she also has a softer side to her. She's from Brock, which is why she has that softer side. So it'll be really interesting to see if it's similar or if it's a little bit different. When people think about puppies, it's like, oh, they're so cute. You know, like (laughs) they're just the cutest. You must just be in heaven. You must just roll around in the kennel with them, don't you? They just love on them. But I have to imagine it wears on you, doesn't it? You know, it does to an extent. Like, oh my gosh, like the birth of these puppies, it literally just melts my heart. Every single time a puppy is born, I am just like, you are a miracle. Like it blows my mind. And then they always go to these little phases. And it's just like, every time the vet's out at six weeks, when they look over them, I'm like, oh my gosh, aren't they just so cute? And I'm like, I sound like a broken record because every time I'm like, they're so cute. They're so cute. You know, it like it now don't get me wrong. Like the daily chores. Oh my gosh. Sometimes they are. I'm just like, okay, got to go back up for chores because we clean the puppy pens in the mornings between five 30 and six. Then we're back up there to do it again at noon. We're back up there to do it again at 4 p.m. And then we're back up there again between 8 and 9 p.m. And so when you do that day after day after day after day after day, litter after litter after litter, that's when you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired of chores. But that's when I'm like, reach out to my chore girls. And I'm like, hey, (laughs) who wants to take over? Because I am tired. (laughs) And I have two little kids at home that need their mom. Right, right. What, what What is an important... Uh, what's important after the litter, you know, you've got a healthy litter, they're, they're getting milk, you know, I know socialization is, is extremely important for puppies. Mm -hmm. At what point does that become your priority or what are your other priorities with those puppies? Oh gosh. Number one, making sure that where they are living is super clean. Like I am a clean freak in our puppy pens because I'm like, I don't want our puppies to ever have to live in their own little waste. And like, if they have poop in their food, instantly throw it out, get them new food. Like if they have shavings, like bedding shavings in their water, instantly dump it out, get them fresh water. Now, is that because you just want a clean space or is there any health reasons for that? Um, well, both. I mean, obviously like, I don't want the puppies having to eat their their poop, you know, and I want them to have fresh water. Even though when they grow up, they eat other dogs poop for some reason. (laughs) I I don't understand that. Rabbit and deer and yes. My dog goes in the back to take care of business and she, you know, a deer came through her backyard or something or rabbits and she's got these brown streaks on her white jacket. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Knock it off. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Well, I, okay. I have to tell you, I had a client that texted me one day. She had just taken home her puppy and she's like, oh my gosh, she just keeps eating deer poop. What do I do? And I'm like, (laughs) when you come up with an answer for that, you will be a billionaire. And please tell me what it is. (laughs) Uh, like, I've I've heard the uh, poop avoidance training uh, being similar to snake avoidance training or, you know, like some people have tried doing that because they are like a cow pie. One guy said, every time we go into a pasture, it's like my dog just had to roll in every cow pie. So I tried the, this, the, the shot collar, you know, like every time he would go into that pile, I would hit him. <laughs> you know, now he doesn't want to go by the cow pies. Now every time he sees a dirt mound, he's paranoid. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they I'm sure they can smell it. <laughs> you know, sure there's a difference can. there. Anyway, oh, so, but like socialization, how do you do that with yeah. a puppy? And is that important? Oh my gosh, it is so important. So we usually started at like four weeks, once a mom is gone, there's a major transition mentally in these puppies from 
um, like four to five weeks, even like three and a half to four and a half weeks once mama's going through that weaning um, phase. And so I really start to focus it, focus once or four weeks. Once the mama's gone, they're not relying on her anymore. They're eating their mush. They have their teeth. So now they've been introduced to kibble. Um, but I get them out of the pen a lot and I will sweep around them. I will vacuum around them. I will take them outside if it's okay. And then I welcome all the visitors that want to come and play with these puppies. Um, our kids love the puppies, so they're introduced to kids all the time. Um, Josh's grandpa is like 85. <laughs> he loves to come out and see the puppies. So um, introduced to older people and anywhere in between. Um, using the vacuum around them, just everyday noises. I use the blender around them to make up their mush. I do all the dishes in the puppy pen so they're hearing that clinking, that clanking. Because if you have, if you, okay, so I said I have the classical music playing in the newborn puppy nursery. It's for them, for the mamas to just stay calm, you know, be relaxed. When you get to where they're opening their ears, their eyes, they're weaned from mom, um, having them introduce to all these sounds and noises that they're going to hear every day is going to help that transition from the puppy nursery to their new home and their new environment because things are going to be the same. So I think it's really, really important to introduce these puppies to sounds, not gunshots, but like a blender, you know, opening a garbage bag, all that simple stuff that you really don't even realize you're doing. That's what's important when you're socializing at a young age. So you go from classical music in the basement, you take them up to the kennel and they've got heavy metal playing out there. Josh is banging away on drums. Totally. Something if, like if that. You, if you have a 70 pound male and a 55 pound female, can you uh -huh. assume the size of those puppies? Yeah, I would usually say that the female is going to be somewhere around that 55 to 65 or 55 to 60 pound range. Males probably like 65 to 70. Gotcha. And you know, what's on the high end? I mean, there's 80, 90 pound labs out there or maybe even uh -huh. larger than that. I mean, is there, if, if you have one that's really big, that breeds a really small female or the other way around, um, mm -hmm. is it still the same? Um, honestly, if someone called me and said their male was 80 pounds, I would be like, sign them up for biggest loser because they need to get going. Yeah. Like they need to lose some weight because you know, a lot of people, it's like they, they humanize their dog, which don't we all, but when it comes to a dog's weight, the way that the dogs are shaped are so different than us and they carry their weight so different than us. And they have such a shorter lifetime than us that it's so important to make sure that they are in amazing shape for their entire life. And so, I mean, like I said, I think ours stay very, very true to what we expect, but there's a, there can always be those oddballs. We could definitely have a 45-pound growing female or an 80-pound growing male. You know, there's always those exceptions, but it's pretty rare. Is it? Okay. Is it true <laughs> that females are easier dogs to control? You know, there's um, kind of that myth out there. <laughs> I don't know if it's a myth necessarily, but you know, a lot of people say, well, yeah. I want a female for that reason. Um, no, I actually think it all comes down to breeding. I mean, we had, so our female Sage, who we used to have, she was a maniac. I mean, she was, she was an exception. She was like 45 pounds. She loved retrieving geese. Like that was her bird to retrieve was a goose. And then you get like Strike, who's the sweetest soul in the world, so mellow, so soft. And like, 
you would have taken you if that was true you would have thought her personality was a male and his personality was a female i think it just all comes down to breeding got it got it yeah and then sometimes you end up with the dominatrix out of the deal too you know you (laughs) never know when when okay so you've you've given the dog shots they've got they're up to date on all their immunizations Uh you've um socialized them you've weaned them they're ready to go home when somebody comes to pick up their puppy, what are the next steps for them? Oh, my gosh. Well, they need to get their puppy into the vet for their distemper uh, booster. But otherwise, I'm like, just take it day by day with your puppy. You know, take them home. You're nervous. Your puppy's nervous. Your puppy's only been on this world for seven weeks. That's nothing. You know, so I'm like, just be you know, put yourself in their puppy shoes. Don't have a huge welcome home party with all of your friends and relatives. Like just make it your family, make it so they understand like where home is, teach them their name, teach them how to housebreak, um, let them explore and, you know, just give them all the love that they want. So just keep it really, really simple and then try and you know, start training and be a little bit more firm with them once they get to be that five, six month range. Got it. Got it. Last question for you. What, uh, what has been the biggest surprise for you since you started, uh, this career choice that you've taken on? (laughs) Um, oh my gosh, that's a great question. The biggest surprise is I think honestly, just this, um, this business that we're in, I had no idea that this whole dog world existed and that by being so passionate about what we do, it could make us like love what we do and make us as successful as we are. And I'm so grateful for it every day. So yeah, it's, it's crazy to think where we are just because we love what we do. I lied. One more question. Marital advice, working with working <laughs> yeah. with your husband. <laughs> oh I'm kidding. God. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How, many, how much more time do we have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother Dr. <laughs> Phil. That's a different, that's not oh, us. Yeah, it's not the flush. <laughs> no, kidding. Josh, I do need to do a podcast on that actually, because it's really interesting how far we have come with being able to tolerate each other. Well, I'm sure. I mean, we do. Yeah. It's great. You just have to. The thing is, is that when you work together, you have to find your own niche and then you just have to respect each other within their niches. Yeah. Oh, I, I do have a real uh, last question this time, I promise. <laughs> With the increase, I mean, it, is it safe to assume that there's been an increase in demand for puppies in the last couple of years? Oh, yeah. Ever since COVID hit and everyone was home, then mm-hmm. everyone thought it was a great time to bring home a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. So is it still, is it still, I know you've got this two year wait, but is that still kind of across the board around the country? Do you think this, this high demand or is it slowing up, uh, slow down a little bit? Um, oh my gosh. Like I live in such my own little bubble that I never go on anyone's website. I never know what anyone else has going on. Um, I don't know. I have no idea. I think a lot of people are maybe a year to a year and a half, but like I am like a true year and a half to two years. Yeah. So and honestly, I, like I only like, I think a lot of other people might have like different locations that they breed from. So they might be producing way more puppies than I am too. Got it. Got it. Well, I think the, the biggest thing is do your research. Know the mom, know the dad, trust the, um, the, the, 
references before mm-hmm. you pick out a puppy. Obviously, people can go to Riverstone Kennels and learn more about your operation, but there's a lot of other breeders around the country as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think doing the research, doing the testing, you'll know exactly what you're getting because um, there's a lot of information out there that's available today. And then enjoy the ride, right? Totally. Enjoy every second of it. It goes by so fast. Yeah, I think that's true in everything we do in life. Uh, Whitney, uh, more continued success to you and Josh. I hope you guys keep loving what you're doing and keep uh, making uh, fantastic hunting dogs for others to enjoy and training them and just the, the whole process. So again, thanks to you and to Josh for the time you've given us. Now get back to those puppies. I know you've got 60 of them that are that are going crazy, probably waiting for you to come back. But appreciate yeah. the time. Oh, thank you so much. I had a blast. And yeah, it's great. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Brandon, anything that you took away or learned uh, today? <laughs> Do your research. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no I, I actually learned quite a bit about just the process. I had no idea you could move dogs along like at that speed. Seven weeks to me just seems so fast. It makes sense yeah. when it was explained. Sure. Oh, wow, that's so cool to have something so small. Yeah, because like we talked about before uh, yeah. this show, you've only got dogs that were yeah. um, shelter dogs, adopted dogs, yeah. stuff like that. So I've never had a puppy puppy. So it's kind of a cool process. I might have to look into people for future. Uh, I hear there's a two year waiting list. So I've got time. You got some time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. We'll wrap it up right there. I'm Travis Frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. <laughs>